All right, guys, welcome to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio, a podcast that dives into all things athletics. On this episode, we're sitting down with Joe Sikowski. Uh, he's currently at Grayson High School down in Georgia, uh, serving as special teams coordinator and the director of sports science. If you're not familiar with Joe's work, we're going to try to get pretty familiar today. Uh, I met Joe a few years ago, and man, I've been following him ever since. Uh, he's somebody that really kind of gets me thinking and, and challenges my thoughts. So he's somebody I like to pick their brain, and whether he enjoys it or not, doesn't matter to me because he does a great job opening up and answering my questions here. Uh, so anyway, Joe, appreciate you coming on, man. Yeah, for sure, Ross. Um, uh, and I want to tell you, likewise, uh, our conversations, I always leave them uh, knowing a little bit more than I knew before. So hopefully this is uh, more of the same. Hey, a win is a win. So uh, you're in this new role of Grayson. Give me a little uh, a background here, kind of what you're doing. And, and I think it's interesting, you know, you've got the title and there's a couple schools there in Georgia that have that sports science title. And you're also obviously special teams coordinator. And I think it's interesting that, you know, I think these states like a Georgia, like an Alabama, like a Texas, you're starting to see a differentiation between, uh, let's say, strength and conditioning coordinator and then your sports science guy as that technology increases. So that's just curious to see that. And, and again, what that role is for you now. Yeah, the, the best way I can describe uh, really what role I fill is, um, you know, the guys who were up at Indiana and then went to Alabama, um, Coach Blue and Coach Ray, where one of them is thinking more about the programming. Um, and for us, that's uh, Aaron Hill, who is one of the best kept secrets in strength and conditioning in the country. Um, he does all of our, all of our weight room programming. And then I would say I'm more of, so he's the inputs and I'm more of the outputs, right? What do we get out of it with those kids? Um, so part of it also is, are you good at keeping track of data? Are you good at, um, having tech that can help you keep track of data? Um, and then I would also say a big part of it is, is in a way I'm a liaison between our strength program to our head coach to the, the people that come in and recruit our athletes. Um, I will say this, uh, if you know anything about Grayson High School, it's a place that has put guys in the NFL um, quite frequently. That, that happened uh, long before I got there and it's going to happen long after I leave, um, hopefully a long time from now. So um, there's a lot of coaches that come through and they want to know not just size, but they want to know catapult data. They want to know um, – you know, the ins and outs of the athletes that we have. And, and I, usually I'm, I'm the one who, Hey, we need to get these numbers on this kid. Um, that's where I come in. Okay. I like that. So with that blended role, you're having to basically, you're essentially just doing three jobs, uh, really more than that, but you get the, you get the point here. How have you grown? Because you guys are, I think you told me you're running or, or on your, in your whole program, you're looking at like 200 plus uh, kids, I think. Yeah, 193 was the number that uh, Coach Hill gave. Uh, him and I spoke at a clinic uh, this past Friday, and uh, I had it written like 150 to 180. So when he said 193, yeah. that even I was like, shoot. Um, and with any group that big, you've probably you've got about two or three guys coming and going at all times, and and um, trying to find a good way to onboard people into our program, um, athletes, and so. Um, you know, a big part of that is just efficiency, right? Um, and the big thing I've really had to think about this year is, uh, can I do this with four kids? Can I do this with 14? Can I do it with 44? And can, do, can I do it with 144? And different drills, different ideas. Um, 
logistics of those are so much different depending on how big your group size is. Um, and I can literally have all those different sizes depending on the week, depending on the time. So, um, my growth has been, I would say my efficiency and just having to stay, uh, having to kind of stay a step, a step ahead of the program to make sure I can get done what I need to get done. Um, and sometimes that's literally a step ahead. Like sometimes that's me ducking out on the end of the practice so I can set up in the field house. So when the kids are coming in, uh, Hey, I got seven kids. I got to get weights on because they weren't here Tuesday. Like just things like that. Um, and when you have that many kids that you're putting through, um, it's not the glamorous part at all, but it's the, it's the, it's the part that has to get done. For sure. I like the, I like the, that number 414, 44 and 144. That's a really good way to, to look at it when you're trying to think about efficiency. So, and we don't need to get specific in those KPIs yet, but logistically it sounds like maybe each day you've got a different focus. Okay. Today I'm going to work on getting these kids numbers and then next week, next week. And then as I get, you know, the end of the week, I kind of fill in what logistically uh, has worked really well for you to get those KPIs with that large group. Yeah. You know, we're getting better um, with the logistics of it during the season. It can get a little hectic because you never really know what that week is going to bring. And uh, we're, we're mixing both, you know, working out with meetings, with walkthroughs and, and um, I never want anything I do to interfere with our ability to go win on Friday. Because uh, obviously that's the, that's the end goal. So um, one thing that we're getting better with is we're always doing some sort of testing on our bench press focus day or our upper body focus day. Um, so that's kind of a revolving thing. So if we have four weeks in a month, um, one of those days we're going to test vertical. Uh, one of those days we're going to test RSI. Uh, one of those days we're going to test broad jump. And then one of those days we're going to weigh the kids in. Um, so in terms of data collection, we do weight um, every month. We do height uh, three times a year. So every four months. Um, and then once a year, we're also tracking uh, wingspan, hand size uh, and foot size. Um, and so I kind of have a calendar of those are kind of rolling as they go through. So we're not having to do all of them at once. Um, which obviously with a group of nearly 200 um, would get very cumbersome. So um, yeah, just trying to find better ways to streamline that process. Uh, I know a lot of people, uh, they have kind of automated things set up or the kids weigh themselves in and they type it in. And, and I've done things like that before. And uh, I always want to make sure the accuracy is of the utmost. And I also want to make sure with that many kids, um, something's always going to kind of go wrong if there's not, supervision or um, I don't mean supervision from a misbehaving standpoint, but I mean just supervision from a um, knowing how to troubleshoot things. So I, I try to make, I, I, I try to set up things to make sure the data comes in in an efficient manner. But on the flip side of that, I always like to make sure that um, I have my hands on it in some way to make sure it's right. That's, that's something I ran into uh, as I got to Texas here. Cause I'll have some groups that's, I mean, 120 uh, plus some days and, you know, logistically, trying to get them to input their own data, like in their own laptops and stuff. Uh, as we've gone through and we've gotten say broad jumps, for example, Hey, your last month broad jump was a hundred. And then today it's 85. And there's no way that you drop 15 inches on a broad unless you didn't land it right. And I didn't see it and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, it's the education piece, making sure they type it in. Cause it, for like the broad jump, for example, it's like, Hey, look, when your feet skip, you know, three times, it, 
that's not, that's not what you got. Yeah. And that's a, that's a big learning, a learning curve. So that I've kind of had to readjust the, those data points I got at the beginning to, to what I got now. So, okay, cool. So uh, before we get into kind of some nitty gritty stuff here, just so people know your general lens, you know, what you're looking at. And, and when you think about training and you think about your job now, who has been some pretty heavy influences you uh, for you along the way? Yeah. Um, I kind of think of it kind of as a rabbit hole um, and it's kind of more broad, the more specific as it goes. But um, I had the great fortune of getting to be a, it, it wasn't a graduate assistant, but it was a, essentially like a restricted earnings intern um, at Illinois state. Uh, and that wasn't based off. I was a terrible athlete, terrible football player. I just happened to have the benefit of a guy who got hired on staff. Him and I worked together at the YMCA in Peoria. Um, so the two guys I worked for there, uh, Jake Schoonover, who is now the uh, special teams coordinator at Ole Miss, and Spence Nowinski, who is the defensive coordinator at Ohio University. Um, both those schools won a bowl game this year. And, you know, those guys taught me what it meant to be a professional and that um, it, it's it's a job. And, and, you know, when you're 21, 22 years old, um, sometimes things are more fun than um, they should be. And they really taught me how to focus in on my work and have great attention to detail. And, um, and it was, it's great now reflecting on that, you know, you think you work for great people, um, but then to see them go on and have great success in their own lives has been, um, you know, I'm so happy for them, but it's also rewarding for me to know that I learned from people who were doing things the right way. Um, then I got into high school coaching. Um, uh, I worked for uh, a man named Toby Vallis, who was the head football coach at Farmington Central High School. And Toby had a unique perspective because he was a college track athlete and he was a football coach with a track background. And I would say, um, you know, they always talk about like gateway drugs. He was my gateway uh, into looking at football in a little bit different way. Um, And so then you go down that rabbit hole even further. Uh, I got a head coaching job uh, when I was 26 and I had to find a way to get the weight room rolling. And uh, my brother-in-law uh, turned me on to 531 by Jim Wendler. Uh, and he wrote a book, 531 for football, uh, which you can, I think you can find for free on the, on the mm-hmm. interweb. And uh, he talks about uh, linear speed development and how it's, it's not a grinding, gritty process. It's, um, it's completely about quality um, on the spectrum of quality versus quantity. That softened me up. So then when I'm going to track meets, I've seen these coaches who have massage tables at track meets in uh, central Illinois. And that kind of, okay, well, that, that seemed kind of strange to me because the guys who are doing it are not, uh, they're not ATs. They're not, you know, uh, okay, what's this? And then that ended up turning me on to uh, RPR. So I had the fortune of learning RPR from Chris Corfus um, about seven, eight years ago at uh, Decatur St. Teresa High School in uh, Decatur, Illinois. Um, so learning about, you know, you, you really start looking at the body in a different way when you start learning those systems. Uh, he put me on to uh, Track Football Consortium, uh, which is where I, um, you know, first met Tony Holler. Um, and Tony's concepts have been something that's uh, really ingrained into everything I've done from that point forward. Um, and then I would say Rich Burnett is somebody who over the last couple of years, um, uh, Rich owns a, a private facility up in uh, Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, but before that, he was uh, the strength coach at Georgia or uh, Greater Atlanta Christian um, here in Georgia. And then, um, you know, he spent some time as uh, 
at the college level, but his, uh, his tracking of vertical jumps and uh, RSI and just his ability to um, turn data into a visual that a kid can understand and helps them uh, better understand their progress. Um, he's been a huge influence on a lot of the things I've been doing, I would say, over the last uh, two or three years. Well, I tell you what, man, the, the TFC conferences are by far, I think, the best best conferences I've, I've been to, just pound for pound of pure information, what's applicable. Uh, and, the, and the beautiful part about those conferences, I think, is that a lot of your, you've got a good mixture of high school coaches, college coaches, you've got professional coaches uh, that are there and everybody's open, you know, and you go and you talk to them and it's, and it's where I've made a, a bunch of relationships and, uh, and I've learned a ton. Uh, so, and this is one of Kerr's questions and, and he's not on today and that's okay. Uh, but Kerr had a great question for you of, so you, you've interacted with, with coach Corfus and, and what he does, what has been the biggest thing that you have taken from him and implemented and, and using in your program? Yeah, and before I go into that, I want to tell uh, if Chris happens to hear this, congratulations to him. He got inducted into the uh, Illinois High School Track Coaches Association uh, Hall of Fame last week. Um, also, I'm, I'm planning on going up to Charlotte next weekend because uh, they're having a, a Feed the Cat seminar up at uh, Mark Hoover's uh, place up at Metrolina. So um, not just somebody I got things from then, but continue to, to, to get things from. Um, I would say... Uh, three huge things I got from Chris, obviously uh, RPR and not full go RPR with every kid. Um, but really the base level stuff, when you talk about uh, zone one and breathing and putting yourself um, not in a sympathetic state, but in a, uh, you know, I vacillating between a parasympathetic and sympathetic state, um, which to me is a performance state um, teaching kids about how to control their breathing. That's been huge. Um, another thing is we do uh, the spring ankle series um, where you're really working on, um, what do you want to call it, like isometric uh, holds and you're really loading the the ankle and you're really loading the Achilles and the calf. And um, we always talk about that as, you know, when you swing your leg, you swing a hammer and you want the end of that hammer to be strong. And a lot of times you can, if you have great limb velocity, but you're, um, your foot and ankle is weak. You're not, you know, it's, it's, you're putting a, a pillow on the end of a sledgehammer, right? You got to be able to, um, you got to be able to uh, absorb and, uh, you know, be stiff when you need to be stiff and be fluid when you need to be fluid. Um, that's a big thing that we talk to our kids about. Um, and then the third thing is uh, if you're having kids that are kind of tightrope sprinting, and we've all seen this before where the kid will put like, they keep like stepping in front of themselves. Um, the foot is somebody's sprint should fall under their hip because if you step to your midline, you're doing it for balance, but you're dumping momentum off to the side. The foot should fire um, like a piston under the hip. So one really good thing I got from Chris is put a kid on a line, have them sprint down a line and watch them and their foot shouldn't hit the line as they run, but you'll find most kids do. And that's usually, uh, they don't have lateral hip strength. And, and uh, but a lot of times it's a great visual to show a kid. Um, so yeah, I would say those are three big things. I, <laughs> I saw these questions beforehand and I jotted those things down as things I wanted to mention because they're things that, that I learned from Chris that, that we use all the time with our athletes. Yeah, we, we started using spring ankle 
a long time ago. I mean, it's, it, it's been really, it's been good. And, and if the kids haven't been around it, it's something that they're like, man, this is kind of dumb. And then over time, or when they first start to do it, it's like, okay, this is harder than you think it is. You know, when you get them in the right position, knees past the toe and all that kind of stuff, depending on which one you're doing, that's when they, that, that little light bulb clicks. They're like, okay, you know, coach Garner, whoever's got something, they know what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. So, so, so Joe, you've got a pretty, I'm going to call it a pretty famous article on Simply Faster, your speed goals, uh, decoding the 40 yard dash. And that was for me, that's really when I got introduced to you, uh, and your, just your thoughts It it got passed around a little bit on, on Twitter. And so I ended up reading the man and that's where I really started following you there. And what really what got my attention was two things were well, three things. One was just the sheer amount of data and being able to to break down the different splits and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, we use a lot, ton of coaches use that information to determine what the kids need. And we'll, and we'll talk about that later. Uh, but that first, the first part you talk about is your, your three second rule, which essentially is a 30 yard fly in and you're trying to, and you can, obviously you're going to explain it, uh, get as fast as I can. You're trying to get under three seconds. Uh, and then in that you're describing how fast can you get versus how fast uh, can you get fast? So if you can break that down for us, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So what I would start with is that um, this is going to sound kind of funny. I mentioned this uh, earlier this week, but they always talked like Jimmy Buffett hated singing cheeseburger in paradise, but he knew he had to sing it because, you know, that's what people came to hear. Uh, that article is one where like I, I get asked about that more than anything. And I, and I don't do a ton with it anymore. And for the reason I'm about to explain, and that is that, um, the starting mechanics of the 40 yard dash, um, not the physical mechanics, but the, the timing mechanics is such a convoluted mess. And I say that because the company who gets the fully automated data is not even allowed to put that out publicly. So we never actually see FAT times um, unless you know the right people. We don't see those publicly. And so what I tell people all the time is you can manipulate a 40 based off of the first couple steps. And so do you want to get good at manipulating or do you want to get good at actually being faster? And so one thing I always told people is that if you're having trouble with the starting mechanic or whatever it might be, the best thing you can do for your athletes who you know are going to go run the 40 and you don't want to get caught up in that, that mess is can they run from the 10th to the 40th yard in three seconds? Um, and usually what that breakdown will look like is somebody running like 107, one flat, 0.93. And that'll get you to three seconds from 10 to 40. Because no matter what way they're going to start you at the at whatever camp you're going to, whether it's a hand start, laser start, whatever it might be, um, if you're going to be fast from there to there, you're going to probably put down a pretty good time. Um, and so, and I was talking to a coach about this earlier. He was talking about uh, training baseball players. And as ridiculous as a 40-yard dash is to assess football players, uh, baseball players being assessed by the 60 um, is even more ridiculous. Uh, but he was asking me about what he should really look for with his athletes. And I said, the big thing that you need to be able to do is work with them. Uh, he wanted his kid to run like six, six point seven. And I said, that kid's going to have to find a way to sustain one flat on a 10 yard fly for about 40 yards from the 20th to the 60th yard. 
put that in perspective, that's uh, 20.45 miles an hour is what one flat over 10 yards would be. Um, so what I've noticed with a lot of high school kids is that their 40th yard of their 40 is usually not their fastest yard. Usually most kids are going to find their, their sweet spot between about like, uh, like 22 to 38 yards. And a lot of them, it's that 25 to 35 range is where you're, you're, they're going to have their best 10 yard segment. Um, and we all know why that is. We've seen kids in the weight room, right? The, the, the fifth front squat doesn't look as good as the first rep, right? Um, and it's the same thing as they go down the, they go down the, um, runway and they're accelerating. Um, a lot of kids don't have the the strength or the endurance to um, continue at high speeds. And that's what we know about like Olympic athletes, their ability to push their acceleration out to uh, 50, 60 meters is what's, that's what makes them Olympians. Um, but obviously most high school kids do not have that capability. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's a big chunk of like what, what I still do with, with that article. Um, the mm-hmm. biggest barrier to entry with that article is, is, um, how are you going to time it? And then that itself takes so much. And like I said earlier, four, 14, 44, 144, uh, trying to process 144 kids over a two hour span for two reps of a 40, hoping that nothing goes wrong is, you know, I'm, I'm crunching the numbers and hopefully we get it done in time. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, that's, that's a big part of, uh, kind of the training. But on the flip side of that, you know, we have so many kids at our school that are going to go to camps. They're going to be recruited at a high level. They're going to be asked to run the 40 and, and we need to make sure that we prepare them for that because um, eventually someone's going to ask them to run and, and they need to be ready to know what that, what that feels like, what that looks like and um, what to expect in those moments. It's a great point. Cause I I've taken out pretty much all zero starts for us um, just because of, like you're saying, the inconsistent inconsistencies on those starts, depending on how you do it, but the fly times are going to be spot on. And a main one for us is that 10 to 40. And, the, and a huge reason why I, why I love it is because the kids don't know necessarily what a good time is. And so when they, you know, if you're just running 40s every week, they're freaking out over their time. And, and, I, and I just, I love taking that out because then they just run it. I'm like, hey, it was a good time. They're like, okay, great. And then they go on, you know, go on about their day. And so the other big point when you talked, when you're talking about that three second rule, I think is to kind of highlight the, your linemen and skill starts versus their finish, you know, and you, and when you're training those guys and what you're looking for. And as we know, that acceleration is, is key to any fast finish. That's, that's pretty, pretty obvious, but I think there's some great points in there of uh, where you can get into, again, your linemen starts, your skill finishes and the differences between those. Yeah, you know, a lot of bigger athletes, um, they're fast in the 40 because they're explosive, right? Um, but because gravity working its way, um, obviously gravity, um, harder to defeat for the larger athlete than the smaller athlete, right? Um, they usually are going to top out at about 20 yards and you're just um, working with them to maintain some of that speed where you're... Um, where your skill players, especially the ones who have some sort of a track background, um, they can find a way to make sure that their, uh, their 30 to 40 segment is faster than their 20 to 30 segment. And to me, that's really, if, uh, if all things are equal at the start, 
that's really your differentiator um, in your um, your great versus elite high school sprinters. Uh, and I think that's existing in college and in, in the professional ranks as well is, is just that ability to keep accelerating past certain points. Um, you know, the, the fastest guys in the 40, if you put a guy like Christian Coleman or a guy like Usain Bolt and they ran the 40 like they run the 100, they would be continuously accelerating throughout that entire process. Um, I would always like to, I, something I've always been curious about is, um, you know, Christian Coleman ran a 40 and like 4.1 something. And um, he did that when he was at um, Tennessee. And it was, it was like a, I think it was like a fundraiser or something. It, it was like for a commercial or something. But I would like to hear him talk about like how he would adjust um, his race modeling over 36.6 meters, which is 40 versus 100 meters. Um, and that's one thing I tell kids all the time is that, you know, the 40 is just over one third the distance that the shortest outdoor race and track is, right? So the 40 and the 100, while there's obviously crossover, a kid who's going to be good in one is going to be good in the other, um, there's not complete crossover. And there are some nuances to those two things um, that that can be addressed, Um with, with the right type of uh, interventions. I like it. So the other bit in the, in this kind of last big point on that, I know I'm, I'm hammering it here, but in that article, you talk about, you know, how you time is going to be one way, how you're in, how the NFL times is another apples and oranges where, you know, we're not, it's not the same. So it's, you can't compare the times, uh, as you've gone through different places and you're at different schools, different situations, you have your data that you take, uh, are you, changing or modifying any I don't want to say testing procedures but but when you're looking at your data that you're getting at Grayson versus what you got at Jackson versus everywhere else you've been um are you needing to restructure or look at and determine hey here here's a good time for how we do things at Grayson here's a good time for how we do things at at Jackson or do you just kind of use your numbers and and figure it out from there and and make an average or you just kind of throw them out and readjust yeah you know that's, that's an interesting question. Now, the one thing I would say is that when I got to Grayson, I mean, obviously Grayson would um, manhandle any school that I've been at before. Um, and I don't mean that in an ugly way, um, but we have sure. some of the premier players in the country um, and, a, and a roster that is um, talented and deep. And I, I wasn't sure if I would come in and there would be all the, okay, these kids are markedly fast faster than the top kids I had at my last school. It really hasn't been that the top speed kids are faster than the fastest kids I've ever worked with. Um, I worked with three very fast athletes who were all, um, you know, state level track kids when I was at um, Jackson. And if you drop those kids in at Grayson, um, they would still be some of the fastest kids on the team. Uh, Really the difference is the size of the athletes. And so, um, it's not that the kid can hit 22 miles an hour uh, on the turf. It's that he can do it and he weighs 190 pounds. And so that, that's been the biggest thing for me is not that it's like, a, okay, this group is collectively faster, but it's that they're collectively, let's call it more athletic. Because to me, um, if we can both run the same speed, but I weigh 50 pounds more than you, I'm more athletic than you are when it comes to that, um, you know, two input metric being size and speed. Hmm. Um, the other thing I'll say too is, I mean, is you just deal with like, 
uh, Zybeck has actually come out and said that the way that they time at the combine publicly, which is the guy sitting at six yards holding a trigger button, you lift up, he lifts up, that that is about 0.085 faster than their FAT times, right? And then if you look at hand times, which is going to, you're probably going to have air on the front and the back end, uh, that's about 0.17. So for us, like I always tell my kids, like if we're going to run 40s, my goal is for you to run um, the slowest version of that 40 that you can run when it comes to a timing perspective. Because the last thing I ever want is our kids to go to a camp. And uh, if, if my kid thinks he's a 4.7 and he goes and runs a 4.5, that's, that's fantastic. But if my kid thinks he's 4.5 and then goes and runs a 4.7, uh, one, I set the kid up for failure. Um, two, my credibility is now lost a little bit. And so, um, and, and, and also the accuracy of the way in which we time is important because if, if those numbers are not accurate, then I can't look at those numbers and make determinations off um, of their value if I don't believe them to be accurate. So for instance, like, uh, Cameron Joe's put out this phenomenal thing where he puts like interventions for different parts. And so like, if they're struggling at their acceleration, these are some drills to work on. And then a lot of it is stuff that we already know, right? Like uh, movement quality in the weight room, sled pushes, things along those lines where like, if they're, uh, they're struggling on their top end speed, it's more track interventions like sprint, float, sprint, um, high end mechanic drills, things along those lines. But if I don't trust the data I have to tell me which bucket the kid belongs in, then I, I'm I'm not really helping myself. And and I, I don't mean to bore your crowd here because I'm going to go down here. I'm going to go down like a 30 second rabbit hole here. But that's a great benefit of me being an English teacher um, part time during the day is that we look at kids and like a kid can struggle with reading fluency, but have a good vocabulary or a kid can be a good writer, but not a good reader. Um, and I need an accurate way to determine which interventions we need. Um, we do a ton of that in the education space. Um, but I think sometimes we leave some of that. Uh, we take some of those things for granted in the, in the training space. And I, I think in a lot of ways, when I talk about sports science, it's really not sports science. It's uh, I call it like RTI. Like we've all been, we've all, you know, a lot of strength coaches get emails about RTI meetings they have to go to and they don't pay any attention because it doesn't apply to what they do. Uh, I always think of RTI, which is response to intervention, which is a way that we address needs in the building educationally. Um, I try to put, I try to look things through that same lens when it looks at uh, addressing the needs of our athletes. That's really good. So do you uh, periodically, I, I don't know if you do your zero starts still, or, or if it's all fly times when you, when you do a zero start for your kids to say, to get a zero, you know, straight up 40 dash, are you doing, I'm assuming you're doing a uh, three point stance or are they standing? How do you typically do that? Yeah, we, I would do, uh, I would do three point stance. Um, I've been using uh, Dasher and I like Dasher's setup because it can, um, what it does is it gives like a, it gives like a tone to the person who has the timing device, like the, the phone or whatever the Bluetooth device is that's receiving the data. And so what we always do with our kids is when that tone goes, I tell them, you're only going to hear one word from me. You're going to hear ready. Ready means you can go when you want to go. But it also means when you pull your hand up, that, that clock is started. So um, I've been asked to time at some combines and some different things. And I always tell the kids, 
you're either going to hear the word ready or a whistle. A whistle means stop, something went wrong, or I'm trying to address you in some way. Um, but the, you'll only hear a whistle or the word ready. And, and so that way the communication is, is fairly efficient and um, uniform. So that, cause if not, that can turn into a, a, a big mess. So my next question here, and, and in that same article, you start talking about uh, pounds per inch. And this is where I've definitely asked you the most questions by far <laughs> when it comes to this. And, and, I, and I love pounds per inch because it it factors in, obviously, size and speed. But it starts giving a uh, objective lens that has nothing to do with playing ability. So, and I think sometimes a sport coach can see a kid and they're like, man, this kid's pretty good and he's moving fast. But if we look at different numbers, it's like, no, he's not. Uh, And it it gives you that lens to where you can't say, well, you know, I don't like how, I don't like this kid's dad, so I'm not going to play him, you know, and and you've got to find different ways like, you know, like that. And so uh, what made you start looking into that? And then how has it grown within your program because i know you've expanded it a bit and we've talked about that and, and you can dive into it um because i've also i've expanded my chart and and looking at it that way uh, but again how'd you get started into it and then what are you doing with it now yeah so i would say the the reason it got started is i wanted a way to not make the uh five foot three 200 pounder in the same boat as the six foot three 200 pounder um, because we know that those athletes look significantly different in their in their archetype, right? So it was a simple metric, and I, I was really just kind of, you know, throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what stuck. And the reason I really like pounds per inch, which is as simple as what do you weigh in pounds divided by how many inches you are tall, Um the the big whole numbers gave me very specific archetypes of kids. So like – um, let's start with like a kid that's 5'10". That's 70 inches tall. So if a kid is um, 140 pounds at 70 inches, he's 2.0 pounds per inch. We all know what that kid looks like. Um, at, at Grayson, we call those um, cross-country runners, right? I said that jokingly. But, um, but no, like if a kid is that big when he's a freshman, we got a good shot. If that kid's still that big when he's a senior, um, he's probably not going to be able to see the field for us, Right. Uh, up to 210 pounds. Now you're getting into 3.0 pounds per inch. That's a thick linebacker body. Uh, you get to 280 pounds. That's 4.0 pounds per inch. Now you're talking about a big kid and you go 350 pounds. Now you're at 5.0 pounds per inch. Now you're um, treading on morbidly obese. But if that kid is also athletic, those types of kids also get scholarships. And we've seen that, right? Um, the old three gapper that can run has a lot of benefit. Um, so yeah, so, so the big part of it is like BMI is a bigger number and I wanted just a smaller number that was easier for the kids to understand, easier for me to kind of process. Um, and so that's one of the ways, like instead of just purely grouping our kids by how much they weigh, um, grouping them by that. Now I will say like how much you weigh is a much bigger number in that formula than how tall you are. And, and what I mean by that is like, you're only going to be like between, depending on where you're at, like 61, like 5'1 and 6'6, six, six, right? So there's only a range there of like, what am I thinking? Like 17 numbers, right? 
where how much how many pounds you weigh could could it, you know what I mean? It could, it could be a stretch of three hundred, yeah. right? We've all had four hundred pounders. We've all had one hundred pounders. So um, the weight is still the driving factor, but it it dilutes the weight out a little bit based off of how tall the athlete is. Um, and I I will say this like when I came up with it, I thought it was like it was a dumb way for me to think about things more clearly. And it's always funny, like I think people have gotten more value out of that. Like rudimentary mm. metric of more than anything I've I've done, so uh, I'm glad that's been of help to people. When and when I started using it, and like you said, you know the height doesn't really adjust much, and obviously the weight does. And then when you start tying that into your tiers that you do, and and you start explaining to your kids, especially when you start, let's just say you're using your your simple one through eight tiers or seven, and when a kid's like, oh, I went from and I flip it, you do, you go from eight to one, and I like going from one to eight uh, just because it's a bigger number. Uh, when the kid's like, hey, I went from a, a one to a two or a one to a three, and you can show them you know, over that six, 12-month period, because you put on 20 pounds and you got this much faster, you've, you've bumped up two tiers, you know, whatever that is. Um, now, Ross, you want me to talk real quick about what that what, what kind of what we're talking about there? Yes, sir, yeah. So what I did is I made a a matrix of where one axis is pounds per inch and the other axis is miles per hour, right? And so, you know, you can close your eyes and think about this real quick, but the top right corner of the chart is somebody who is 5.0 pounds per inch and can run 23 miles an hour, which is not something human beings have figured out yet. And I always put a picture of the juggernaut from X-Men there, right? And so um, the bottom opposite corner of that, the, the bottom, so the top right is the juggernaut. The bottom left corner is um, as non-athlete as you can be. Like you're, uh, you, you can run 14 miles an hour and you weigh like 110 pounds, right? And so there's like waves. And it's funny that you said tiers and numbers because I actually totally got rid of the numbers altogether. Everything that we do now is based off the colors of the chart. Um, okay. And so the chart itself is just kind of shows like if if you have a kid in your program and he weighs 250 pounds and he asks a coach, am I fast? Um, that's such a profound question because it's determined, right? Speed is based on how big you are. And I wanted just a kind of an objective way to, to look at that. So uh, Ross, I don't even know if I've talked to you about this yet, but we've taken the tiers and then put another level on top of that, which is um, like a metal system. So our kids are either bronze, um, silver, gold, platinum, or diamond, right? And so when we look at that, like we're, we're talking about, like that's a certain metric for a big kid versus a, a mid kid versus a skill kid. Um, and when I explain that to people, sometimes they go, well, you're, you're getting kind of convoluted there. And what I always tell people is, uh, you know, the truck stick metric is something that's become very popular. Um, but you have to do double numbers on the truck stick. And what I mean by that is a kid can fat their way into being good at truck stick. Right. And so sometimes your top kids are just morbidly obese and not horribly slow, but they, you still can't put them out there on the field. Right. Um, because they, they don't have the ability to like literally run on the field in time to get in position to 
play football. Um, so with a truck stick, you have to go like a second round of how do I adjust this for skinny versus medium versus big. And, and I just wanted a way that I could do that, um, kind of through my own lens. So, um, we talk about moving kids a color. So the colors are, are pretty simple. When we talk about like our freshmen are green, like when you get a freshman, they come in, they're green and by the end they're seasoned. So they're red. So like our color scheme is like green, yellow, orange, red, like the color gets hotter. And then once you get on the other side of red, it's like light blue, dark blue, purple. And like the thing about purple is like, if I have a kid in the purple, it's like, uh, you know, we got to get Kirby smart on the phone right now because we got a freak. Um, and, and so it's just a way that we can track our, you know, are we getting bigger? Are we getting faster? Um, and I think probably this is maybe a good time to mention like, what is strength? So a very simple question that everybody listening to this knows the answer to, which is, can a strong kid be slow? And the obvious answer is yes. We've all had kids who worked really, really hard, got really strong and still didn't go anywhere fast. But the antithesis of that is, can a fast kid be weak? And that becomes a much bigger point of discussion. And so the way we look at our kids is through this prism of a triangle. So in the triangle has three points. The, the points are uh, good, big, and fast. And so are they good at the sport? Are they big for their position? And are they fast for their position? And inside of that triangle is a circle, which just says strength. So everything that we do with our strength should benefit one of those three things. So does it help us in our technical, tactical model to be good at our sport? Does it make us bigger and bigger in the idea of does it give us more armor to protect ourselves through a 13, 14, 15 game season? Um, also, does it make us bigger so we're going to win collisions, right, on physics? And does it make us faster for how big we are, right? So a big thing is like uh, when we had kids coming back from COVID, I had kids who like put on weight and they're like, hey, coach, I'm closer to the weight that I need to be to me, for me to get recruited. But then we would go and we would sprint them and they lost a mile per hour. And I was like, yeah, but now you're not as good of an athlete as you were. Um, so, so that idea of strength should benefit the good, big, fast triangle. Um, and if it doesn't, then we need to intervene and find out why it doesn't. That's a tremendous visual and a way to look at that. I, I really like that. So, all right, because you w went down that yeah. trail here, uh, and you can, you can obviously go about this how you want for you. And, and I, and again, I know you're kind of a, a liaison between everybody. And so it's, it's, it's great because you've got the, you've got a football coach lens, you've got the science lens and obviously you've got the training lens, which is, is super unique. And it's something that me and, and, uh, Chris Kerr have talked about of to, you know, especially at the high school level and obviously college, it applies that your, I'm going to loosely use the term, uh, your best programs are going to have somebody on that staff, on the football coaching staff that can speak the language of everybody involved and, and, and it could be the head coach, it can be an assistant, but there's gotta be somebody that can talk into detail about all of those things to make it make sense for everybody. Not saying your strength coach can't have that conversation because obviously they can't, but it really helps when you have somebody that's there talking the X's and O's. And so, 
with that, what do you think are the most important boxes to check uh, starting in middle school as you go up through high school? And I ask that question because here I technically oversee sixth grade through 12th grade. And I've got my thoughts on what I like to check as they get older. But for you, what do you think as they, again, starting as young as possible, we work our way up. How does that, uh, the different lens and the different boxes check as you go? I would say from young ages, um, movement literacy is the biggest thing. Um, I think there's places that are way too quick to put a barbell on a kid's hand. And, um, you know, I'll give you an example of somebody who I think does it right. Uh, Nick Sykes, who is the director of, um, director of strength and conditioning for the Rockmart, um, Rockmart high school in Polk County, Georgia. Uh, they, he has, uh, some influence over everybody from kindergarten, first grade, all the way through high school. And, we're talking about movement literacy from a young age, right? Can they skip? Can they do a, uh, a forward roll, right? Can a kid, um, can a kid crawl? Um, what good is a kid to me? If he comes to high school, he's strong, but he doesn't move well. Um, and one thing that I've always found is that those kids who are, um, what do you, I don't even know what to call it because we, we've done such a good job as an industry kind of giving a, an idea of what's good, right? But those kids who are like, wow, that thing they did is strong. It's not like it's – they didn't move very well doing it, but it was strong. What I've always found with athletes like that is because they don't have the movement quality, it doesn't – blend over into can they jump higher can they jump further can they accelerate better and those are things that like i said earlier if the strength does not benefit either good big or fast it's what is it really aiming at achieving and so um i don't know if i went off the rails a little bit there but but no those are those are like what i'm saying is is that strength is always something that we can address Right. Um, I'd rather have a I'd rather have a good mover who has never been under a barbell um, as a ninth grader than I would the opposite. You know, and what's what's unique about Grayson is, um, you know, we're here in Gwinnett County, which is um, it, we have one of the top 10 largest school districts in the country. Um, and I think something like 17 or 18 of the 40 some schools that are make up Georgia's highest classification are all in our county. Um it's, it's just a massive, massive, massive. You're talking about hundreds of thousands of people involved. Um, so we don't, we don't have as much input in the middle schools and what they do, and they don't have weight training. So when we're going to start getting our kids, they're in our, they call it our cluster. So the cluster is like the elementary schools that, that pour into the middle schools that pour into the high school. When we start getting our cluster eighth graders here in a couple of weeks, um, it's really going to look more like block zero FMS than it's going to look like traditional high school weight, weight training. Cause our whole thing is we want to make sure that they can do a PVC squat before we ever start worrying about loading. Um, so yeah, to, to that idea of what are the most important things, I, I think having, having a structured plan of, I want our kids to be able to do this by this age, this by this age, um, you know, is huge. I know Brad Fortney is another name I'll throw out. Who's down at enterprise in Alabama. 
Um, he does a fantastic job of getting into the elementary schools and really developing some of those things. Um, I've also read some literature recently that talks about some of the best chances to drive in some of those, um, those form things when it comes to sprinting is at the middle school level, uh, you know, 10, 11, 12 years old. So if you think about it from that range, a lot of us, we miss our sweet spot with our kids who we're trying to get faster, but we may not see them until they're 14, 15. Um, so I'm going to try to find little ways to kind of address that with our athletes that we have coming up, maybe getting some days on the weekends where a younger athlete could come up and work and um, just teach some of those basic things to our athletes because uh, it, it, you know this, there are some ugly fast runners out there. And if we can kind of intervene from an earlier age, it's not that necessarily we'll make them any faster, but if they run efficiently, we have a good chance that, that kid has less of a chance of injury um, through the way that they run. Right. We know uh, interior pelvic tilt is going to put more strain on the hamstring and some athletes go their whole career and never have a problem. And for other kids, it's a, it's a ticking time bomb. Yeah, the uh, I suggest every single coach out there that's ever that's going to ever work with kids, and it's coincidentally on my desk, and I could not remember the name, is Children in Sport Training. Uh, this is a fantastic book, and like you said, it's got a it's got a bunch of different uh, graphics in it and whatnot. But like you said, your your most potent time for speed and skill development is is middle school, and for the girls, it's arguably it's like fifth sixth grade, and then the boys can be a little bit later. Uh, and like I tell our, I tell our coaches is I'm trying to get these kids as fast as possible and as, and moving well, as quick as we can before puberty. And once we, once they get into puberty, you got a couple years and then we kind of figure it out on the, on the back end. But the, we've got a, again, like you just said, check all those boxes first. And if we check the speed box early, then we're going to be pretty good down the road. Uh, and something that uh, we talked to Fahey about a couple of things, and he made a great point how the the younger you are, the quicker your CNS is, is firing. Uh, and he gave it a, a predator versus pack comparison or a prey versus predator comparison. And when you're young, you're trying to run, you need to run away as quick as you can. You're not very powerful, but man, you're quick. And then as you get older, you're now turning that strength and your CNS isn't going to be as fast. But if you can keep pushing that at a young age. And then as you get older, you're just going to keep coasting with it. Uh, just like you said, so that's a, that's a great point. So, okay. So with your large groups, when they start coming to you, obviously, like you said, you're going to see them here, eighth, ninth grade, you know, whatever that is in your block zero program, as they start to progress over the years, are you using, and, and this might not be your, your job per se, but uh, are you using any of your sprint information to separate your kids or do you have, Hey, generally we're going to work on this in ninth, 10th and you so on and so forth. Or do you specify stuff and bucket them based off their sprinting? Um, and logistically that's going to be super hard to do with the numbers. So it might not even be something you, you do at this point. Yeah. You know, for the most part, speed is a really good, uh, predeterminer right, of, of success. So a lot of times more what it is is like for our freshmen, like we know these this bucket of freshmen were our most successful kids this year um, in freshman football games, right? 
and more that we want to focus on that bunch because they're the ones who are going to be the most immediate need. Most part, they're being bucketed on their ability to help us win football games. Um, and so in like within those buckets, um, we're, we're kind of tracking, you know, speed development, strength development, uh, movement quality development. Um, now I'm going to say something that, that is probably kind of, uh, not popular, um, in our circles these days. And it's something I I'm trying to learn more about and get better with. Right. But I'm, I, Tony Villani is a very good friend of mine. I, I really enjoy the game speed things. What I have really looked at is if I intervene on this, when the kid is back in the wild and, and reacting to things, they sometimes resort to their prior patterns. And so what I mean by that is like, I think a lot of times if I can, if we can make the kid bigger and faster, this idea that, um, well, if you give a kid more speed, but you don't teach him any brakes, you just have a car with less handles. I, I think that may be true the more elite the athlete gets, but I think for most of our young kids, they're, they're playing so much sport in and of itself um, that they're getting a lot of that. And I think that it's more when you talk about, um, you know, the Kyle Keyes grid training or, or anything, I think that stuff is, is very good as a way of uh, keeping kids on the right track and intervening when there's something that is inefficient. But also on the flip side of that, Sometimes our best kids are our most inefficient. They just happen to be that much dang fast on all their efficient steps that you're still going to give that kid the ball, hmm. right? And so, yeah, I, I think that some that's stuff that, that needs to be addressed and intervened with. But on the flip side of that, like our kids that are good are usually pretty good. And there's a, I don't know, there's a certain level of, uh, it's already baked in at some point, mm-hmm. you know? It's funny you say that. I was talking to our track coach the other day. He had sent me, he was at a clinic and he sent me a slide of a, of a coach talking about why or why not to, to squat heavy. And it was, a, it was back and forth. And me and him talk about this stuff all the time. And, you know, generally speaking, it was, you know, it messes up motor patterns and all, you know, all this stuff. It had, had positive and negatives. But the, the summary, uh, as we talked about it, I, I told him, because there will, there'll be times we run, performance circuits where we're going to squat we're gonna do a couple other things and we're going to end it with a sprint or a jump or whatever it is Uh, and we're not on that right now but there are times that we do that and and this is just me especially from seeing kids in three different states so in virginia and florida to texas now i've definitely formed a, a a much better philosophy of kind of what i think high school kids need because i'm seeing the same stuff no matter where i'm at it's just a matter of kind of like you said earlier about your kids at Jackson versus Grayson, it ultimately is just boiling down to the size of the kid. And they're generally speaking, needing very similar things. Uh, But nevertheless, talking about, okay, if you want to do heavy squats before sprinting, it's normally going to boil down to logistics of when I can get them in training, when I can't get them, and when you got to go to practice. And it may not be ideal, but there's going to be times where, man, we've got to lift before practice just because we have to. And I was telling him that I think that the whole squatting heavy before sprinting, 
whatnot is much more applicable to your top speed kids, your high CNS kids than it is my average and below kids. So I'm it's like, I'm not, I don't quite frankly, I think it helps the middle to low tier kid because it amps up their CNS, just like a heavy deadlift. I think it helps them better to actually run faster. It's not really necessarily taking away per se, but definitely from the top end kids for sure. Um, and with your, like you were just saying, and you're teaching the kids all these things, I think a lot of the general rules of thumbs that we hear and we follow are totally applicable to our top 10% kid. But it may not be that big of a difference with our middle to below average type of type of athlete. And you may see something else, but that's just kind of what I've seen. No, I agree with that wholeheartedly. You've, you've coached football. And are you, are you doing track at Grayson? I don't know if you are. Well, I am not. Nope. Okay. Okay. So in your, in your time here, you've had a ton of experience with track, ton of experience with football. Uh, for you, what do you think is your, if you're laying out a training week with your, with your football practices and your training week, what do you think is a great way to lay out both your football practices, gen, just general, you don't have to get super detailed, but general football layout of a week and your lifting layout uh, during the week with that? Uh, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I think we do something um, at Grayson that is, um, I'm sure other people are doing some version of this, but I think that we we did it at a very high level this year. Um, so the the basic idea of the way our week works out is we will squat um, and we front squat as our primary movement. So our primary movement Monday is front squat. We build a workout around that. And our Monday practice is, uh, you know, the traditional high school practice. Um, we try to do it at an incredibly high level, but um, very few stones are being left unturned. It's, uh, you know, depending on the time of year, anywhere from uh, an hour and 45 minutes to two and a half hours, right? We're doing the same thing on Tuesday, and the focus in the weight room is um, upper body, so bench press. And we'll build a workout around that. And that practice is very much reflective of Monday's practice. Where I think we're far, far different than most people is we do not formally practice on Wednesday. Um, our, so we're trying – this is something that uh, – it was it, it was kind of interesting. Uh, our head coach, Santavius Bryant, who um, – I'll be honest, my biggest problem is going to be one of these times these coaches that come in to recruit our kids are going to realize how good he is, and uh, he's going to get some offer to be a position coach in the SEC, and I'll be looking for a job again because he's one of the best coaches in the country. Um, But he came in with this idea of what it looks like to peak for game day. Uh, Our strength coach, Aaron Hill, came in with that, and I came in with – I kept hearing NFL strength coaches, who I heard three different ones last offseason, talk about the 48-hour window – before you play and it's it's nothing new or innovative it's it's going back to the old high low day right so if we can create a cns plummet on wednesday and tax the system uh as little as we can um and we're doing that through yoga we're doing that through functional movement we're doing that through no sprint no sweat we're doing that through meetings and walkthroughs instead of traditional practice um, we're doing that through ice baths. We're doing that through feeding them. Um, that is what our Wednesday looks like. And our Wednesday is fully built on the recovery of our of our athletes. And then what we do on Thursdays is we ramp up. So we potentiate. And I think we probably do less on Thursday than 
98% of the teams in the country, and we probably do more on – or we do less on Wednesday, and we probably do more on Thursday than 98% of the teams in the country. So one thing that we'll do is we will work out, and our main movement is is the clean. So we're – you know, uh, time under tension is low. Um, rate of force production is high. And so that's, that's the weight room focus. We're doing our linear sprint – on Thursday as well. So what we're trying to do there is we're trying to hit above uh, 95% of their max that they hit preseason. Uh, NFL teams would talk 90%, but my philosophy is like our kids are still developing. So as long as they're, if they're hitting 95%, we have a handful of kids every week that'll hit 102%, right? They'll set a new PR um, because, you know, puberty is, you know, the best assistant coach any of us, any, any of us have. Um, so, so that's kind of what our Thursday looks like. And we do a thing called mop game, which um, I believe is passed down from, if you're from Georgia, um, I believe that was a uh, passed down from Jeff Heron to Adam Carter to now uh, Santavius Bryant. But uh, it's a, we do put on pads. It's more structured. It's, it's not just a kind of walk through, uh, like the Thursday everybody thinks of. Um, and the best way I can explain, like I always tell people about it in math, right? Most teams are practicing Monday, practicing Tuesday. And then some people, Wednesday ends up being the longest practice because it's a review of everything from Monday and Tuesday, right? So I think of that as like, you know, you start the week at zero, right? So I go minus one, minus two, minus three. And yeah, I don't do much Thursday. So let's give a plus two on Thursday, but I'm still getting to Friday at minus one where the structure that I'm talking about, I think of it as minus one on Monday, we get to minus two on Tuesday, but then we recover on a Wednesday, which gets us back to baseline. And then we don't do anything to tax that system on Thursday. Uh, We do things to, you know, the, you know, the, there's the, it's the teeter totter between potentiate and tax. If we can go all the way up to what's the most effective dose to potentiate the system for Friday's performance day, um, as long as we don't tax the system, I think of that day as a zero. So I went, you know, I, I got from minus two back to zero, then didn't burn anything on Thursday. Now I'm back to Friday at my baseline. Um, if I'm at my baseline and you're at negative one on Friday and we're playing 15 games, um, I think we're going to be healthier um, and that's going to benefit us more as the season progresses. I really like that, and I like the I like the countdown. How you frame that? How you just explained your Wednesday? That makes a that makes a ton of sense. Now, are you is the only day that you're timing sprints during the week that that Thursday? Yeah, and we're also wearing. Um, you know, we have twenty five catapult units and mm-hmm. one Titan unit. Um, and okay. I'm not sitting here as somebody who works for either company, but I am somebody yeah, who has yeah. one of each. So if anybody out there has any questions on, um, there are things about them that are both phenomenal. Um, and so if anybody has any questions or wants to get a unbiased opinion on those, <laughs> <laughs> I'd be happy to help anybody out. Um, but so we're getting data from that. And every once in a while, you know, our, our practices are, very competitive and and obviously we have some very very talented kids on both sides of the ball and so we sometimes get more like higher outputs on a practice day than we would even on our game days um Hmm. but so we're, we're tracking it through that lens but we're not linear sprinting 
um, on any day but Thursday and long tracks on Friday. And what I mean by that is uh, we're scoring long touchdowns on Fridays. That's also an opportunity to get uh, linear sprint work in. I love it. What do you do? Uh, and you may or may not want to answer this, and I totally understand. Uh, with your GPS data, how are you? How does your? How do you use it? Like, what are you doing with it? To the, you know what I mean? Like, how are you using that data? Yeah, I would say this. Like, I'm very, very busy. So, um, if you want to go really deep dive on GPS data, uh, I would look up Dan Mullins. Yep. Cause that's who I go to when, when I have questions, but really what we're looking at um, because of the way I just explained our practice structure, the answer is always Wednesday. And what I mean by that is like, man, we weren't really hard Monday and Tuesday. We're pretty beat up. Well, <laughs> Wednesday is always the recovery day, right? Um, so Wednesday is the right answer to any of the problems we may run into Monday and Tuesday. Uh, one thing that we will look at will be like, um, if a kid is banged up, we want him to practice, but he is banged up. We'll try to look at it and say like, let's keep his, um, let's keep his player load. And I'm talking about the catapult player load. Like let's keep their player load under 700 or 800 combined for Monday and Tuesday. Right. We could do that all sorts of ways. We can take them out of certain drills. We can, um, you know, if it's a receiver, you can start his route five yards ahead of the line of scrimmage. That's just taking out some just, just little things here and there. And if they got 400 on, like, let's say we're trying to keep it under 700. They got 400 on uh, Monday. Then we're really going to look and make sure, hey, let's let's intervene with that kid on Tuesday so we can make sure. Um, like I was talking about, like the number you bring in with you to the week is hopefully zero. Like hopefully you're at baseline. Some kids are bringing in negative one, negative two because they're injured or they're fighting off something. So for those kids, we want to make sure that that we can get them back to some version of baseline by the time we um, get done with Wednesday and then get to our game on Friday. Do you do you bring your kids in on Saturday? Uh, we do not, no. Um, and a big part of that is um, these are first world problems, but our kids are so highly recruited and they're, yeah. they're going and visiting schools every weekend. And okay. Yeah. Um, we'll have kids. Honestly, we have to kind of think sometimes about, like we'll have a kid who – like Arizona state came in and offered like a, a, a handful of our kids. Right. At some point this year, they're probably going to go on a visit and yeah. they, you know, the flight from Tempe to Atlanta, they may not get home till whenever on Sunday. And um, so sometimes we're thinking about that, just um, all of that is stress. And um, you know, our kids, the recruiting process is a, is extraordinarily large amount of stress on a kid. Um, so those are all things that we kind of have to factor in. But no, because of that, um, we do offer some like um, prehab, rehab stuff on Sundays. Kids can come in and, and do some things. Um, but in terms of we don't formally have the kids come in on Saturday or Sunday. Okay. Um, you up for two or three more questions? Oh, I got all the time in the world. Yeah. Perfect. So uh, along the performance and, the, and whatever you got going on football-wise, what what is your latest uh, – thing you're looking at, like your rabbit hole, like what's the latest thing that has your attention, what you're trying to learn uh, more about now? Yeah. Uh, one thing I uh, played around with quite a bit over break was trying to find um, like strength standards for our kids. And I've started to look at strength in three different ways. Um, 
and I'm just talking about weight room strength. I'm not trying to get too deep in the weeds here, but yeah. you have like you have like raw strength, which is how like how good am I fighting gravity, um, right? Like uh, for us, like a 405 front squatter for us is like our diamond level squatter, if that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> um, then you also have percentage based, which is you know what's the weight divided by how much I weigh. And I like that metric, but I don't love that metric because it favors smaller athletes and um, life nor scholarships favor smaller people. Just the way of the world, right? It's an ugly truth, but um, it is what it is. So we also have a plus minus metric, which is um, like, for instance, would you rather have a 300 pounder that can front squat 450 or would you rather have a 100 pounder that can front squat 150? Yeah. And when you, okay. So like 450 is a big number. Like somebody who can, we would say somebody who can front squat 450 is strong. Someone who can front squat 150 is weak. Right. But on percentage, they're even, right. They're both 1.5. But on plus minus, one of them is plus 150. One of them is only plus 50. And so I wanted different ways to, um, I felt like a lot of our metrics were devaluing the strength of our larger athletes. Um, so what we what what we did is we kind of came up with a formula where you get certain points for raw strength, you get certain points for percentage strength, you get certain points for plus minus strength. And it gives you like a, a point total. And then that puts our kids in diamond, platinum, gold, silver, bronze, tiers. Um, And that's a way that we can see progression of the individual athlete, but also um, bucket them in a, in a fun kind of competitive way. Um, The other thing I've looked at is I've got so much data now that I want to find like unique ways to look at it. And I will be honest, a lot of, uh, you know, part of being a scientist, which is a title I probably don't deserve, but from what I learned when I was in uh, high school science class is that you have a hypothesis and you test it and you see if you were right or wrong and then you create another one, right? Just to, you, 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 that's the scientific process. Uh, my problem is that most of the time I don't stay at a school long enough to find out the end result. But one of the things I'm looking at is we have, um, and again, Nobody wants to hear about how great things are on on my side of the street, but we have a phenomenal, phenomenal, phenomenal class of 2027. Um, There's quality and quantity in the group. Um, It's about 75 kids deep and just uber, uber talented. What I'm having a lot of fun with now is uh, looking at unrealized height and, uh, So looking at metrics that are going to help me project how big a kid will become. Um, And one of them that I've been playing around with, uh, and and a lot of times it's just me fiddling on my computer, putting in different equations and seeing if something will come out and and look reasonable. But one of them that I've been messing with is wingspan divided by four plus foot size. So um, if somebody has like uh, an 80 inch wingspan, which is ridiculous, right? Uh, treble hmm. divided by four gives them 20. And let's say they have a size 15 shoe 
their score would be 35. So 35 is like, I have a kid on the team who has an 80 inch wingspan who has size 15 and a half shoe, like 35 is like a huge number. Um, and so what we're looking at with that metric is I look for who has a number above 32 and is not yet six foot tall. And if I look at those kids, a lot of times a bunch of those kids are young. And so the younger they are, the more chance they have of getting taller. Because if you've got long arms and big feet, um, that's usually a predictor of your your growth potential. Mm-hmm. So um, now, as a hypothesis game, that's fun. But on the flip side of that, we're also looking at like, who is a kid who is currently shaped like like one archetype, whether it be like a linebacker, tight end type, but we can project they're probably going to look more like a defensive lineman, offensive line, like an edge or an offensive tackle because this kid's probably going to gain another 40 pounds. He's probably going to get another four inches taller, right? And what I mean by that is like if I have a kid like that, okay, we can leave him at tight end. That's fine. But we're also going to train him to be a – offensive tackle with an eligible number. And what I mean by that is um, if he can catch the ball and run routes, great. But if he can't, let's teach him how to down block, how to reach block, how to pull at the same level we're teaching any of our other linemen because this kid has a good chance of becoming one of those two years down the line and having that information two years ahead of time. Like, for instance, the kid's going to get to 6'4", He's only six foot now, but if I know that two years ahead of time, um, that can help with our planning for that individual athlete. Oh, and a, a really dumb metric is uh, uh, take your foot size and subtract your age. If it's a positive number, you're probably going to get taller. <laughs> yeah, that make that makes sense. <laughs> so the uh, so la- last little bit here, uh, Joe. You uh, you take a lot of data. What is uh, what have been some of your best kind of data collection practices that you've used? You know, you're, you're organizing data, a ton of it. You're keeping it over the years. Similar, similar to what I have. What would have been some of your best practices there to keep it organized? Um, shoot. Some days I'm better at it than others. Uh, I'm very, very, uh, and you know me well, so you know this, you know this maybe better than anybody because you've seen, me over the years, but like, I'm actually not a good numbers person, um, which is such a funny thing to say. Like, I'm not good at math. I'm just, I'm, I need a visual representation. So everything I do is with colors. And like in my brain, I know like green means freshmen, yellow means sophomores, orange means juniors, red means seniors. Right. And so the day the football season ends, everybody changes their color Hmm. because, now, the, the day a senior season over, he turns to light blue. Light blue means I love you to death, but you can't help me win football games anymore, right? And so I would say that just the having colors mean something is has been the thing that's really benefited me. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm an Excel person. Um, I really like the way, like, it, it's more just like I speak the language. Like, I'm, I'm kind of turning into like a crotchety old man when it comes to some of this stuff. Because it's not that Google Sheets can't do it. I'm, I've seen it do it, and I'm sure it can. I just don't speak the language as well as I speak Excel. Um, so I'm kind of stuck in my ways when it comes to that. 
Um, but uh, learning how to use the uh, the hide button has been very beneficial. That's something I've gotten a lot better with the last couple of years uh, because the sheer amount of, of kids that I have to process now. Um, I will tell you, uh, we have a pipe dream at Grayson and that is that we can have a, uh, a strength and conditioning department and it would be cool for us to kind of do what we do with the football team, but do it with all sports. Um, that's, that's, you know, the, when I say pipe dream, I, I don't know if that's something that's, and anybody else's mind right now, but that's, that would be it, I, to, to give the best um, athletic experience for our student athletes um, of any public school in the country is, is really what our goal is. Um, but that sheer number of kids I would have to do with that, um, you know, like having everything in one spreadsheet for all of our speed data and then having it so I can conditionally format it where it'll pull out like, okay, these are girls times versus boys times or whatever it might be. Um, I think having, having a way to really go through and do that, because you know, this, if not, it's just, it's just <laughs> black numbers on a white spreadsheet and it doesn't have meaning to it. So I think having ways to um, creatively visualize what you're compiling is, is I think a, is a huge part of it. Oh, uh, and I will say best practices. Um, I have started taking a rolly cart out onto the turf when we do our sprints. So we're providing immediate feedback to our kids. So when our kids run their in season one sprint a week, I can give them their time and yell out, Hey, 93.4%. And in the spreadsheet I have, it conditionally formats it where it'll change like whatever percentage pops up, it'll change the color. Um, And it'll tell me, did he, did he hit his window this week? Um, Do we feel good about where they're at? And so, um, yeah, like automation is great from a stance of like, it can help us be more efficient, but also automation where I can more efficiently convey the information that my athletes and my coaches need, um, I think is also a huge part of, of some of the things that I've done over the last year, um, in terms of just relating, relating the information to the coaches and the players who need it, um, you know, get it, getting it to them in a, in an efficient manner. That was well said. Are you taking, when you're talking about the percentages, are you looking at the, the last fly time or the whole time? So what it was built off of is there was a column on the sheet that just had like their, it just a DPR, which was like dasher personal record. Mm-hmm. So like what was their best time they ran on the dasher from like March till um, the end of July. Yeah. Right. And so whatever that time was, we're comparing everything off of that one time. Okay. So like some of our kids, what happens is they, they go in like they get, they get injected with, you know, with puberty um, and they just get like much, much bigger, faster during the season because they're young and whatever it might be. So like those kids are popping off like 102%, 106%, right? Like, they're just going crazy because they're getting better. I leave them in. But the other thing is when I look at data, I usually pull our freshman athletes out because they're getting better anyway, if that makes sense. Like they're getting better so rapidly that to put like, like, like 14 and 15 year old boys are not the same species as 17 and 18 year old boys. They're just not. Um, so like I could easily go to my head coach and be like, Oh, look how much faster we got during the season. 
but like those freshmen were going to get faster anyway. Mm-hmm. Like my only hope is I think I view it like the the baseball stat, stat uh, wins above replacement, right? Like, am I doing a better job than the average person who would have gotten my job? Like, are they a little bit faster than I would have had there been no specific intervention for speed? Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is you never actually know if that's true or not, right? Thanks for listening to another episode of Victory Over Self Radio. Episodes are available anywhere you listen to podcasts. We also have videos and clips of each episode on our Victory Over Self Radio YouTube channel. Like and subscribe and let us know if there's any person or topic you'd like us to cover. See y'all next time.